You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Can we just go to the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And dear Lord, our flesh may be weak, but your spirit always strong in me. And Lord, that may be... um, the testimony of many here this week, dear Lord, it seems that the flesh has been weak. It's been a struggle. But the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, is like a mighty fountain. Jesus said, out of you shall spring rivers of living water. And so, Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that the springs just gush forth. That, dear Lord, the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit would be so mightily upon us flowing through us that, dear Lord, in a dry and thirsty land that people would want to pull us up close just so they can be refreshed. Dear Lord, may you just speak to us today, not only, dear Lord, in the worship as you've already done, but may you speak through your word. And Lord, we give you all the honor and glory. You alone are worthy. It's all about Jesus. It's all about you. You said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And So, Lord, may you be lifted up, even as you already have. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would use me today. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, if there be anything, remove it that would hinder you. And let me be that vessel that you can use. And, Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in the sweet and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. Have your Bibles. I want you to take them and turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke, chapter 23. I'm preaching today on the subject of the thieves on the cross. And there's two thieves. And by the end of this message, I pray that you know which thief would better represent you today. We're talking today about the thief on the cross. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. And we're going to be talking about the cross. Mother Teresa said this when she won the Nobel Peace Prize. She said this. She said, I owe it all to the cross. Martin Luther King Jr., when he won the Nobel Peace Prize, made this statement. He said, it was built. Talking about his life, he said, my life was built upon my father's evangelical preaching. Billy Graham made this statement about Martin Luther King Jr.'s father. He said, I knew his father. He preached the gospel everywhere he went and he believed in the cross. Paul said the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's foolishness. And so today we're looking at the cross and I want to take you to the cross. It's the most pivotal moment in all of history. Catholics make the sign of the cross. Most churches have a cross that they meet under. This church, uh, the old motto used to be centered under the cross. On the top of this steeple here is is a cross. The cross is what God thought of evil. Now let me say that again. The cross is what God thought of evil. Ron Langston, who was a missionary, Ron Langston was a missionary in Zimbabwe, uh, in Bight Bridge, Zimbabwe, right on the border of Zimbabwe and South Africa. 
If I remember, Ron had two sons, and these two sons went to school down in South Africa, in an Afrikaner school, if I remember. A very disciplined, very regimented school. One day, one of the sons got in trouble in school. And so Ron was summoned to the school there in South Africa. So here this Southern Baptist missionary from Zimbabwe went down to South Africa to find out why his son was in trouble. His son came to his dad and he said, Dad, what they are accusing me of, I did not do. What they are accusing me of, Dad, I did not do. Ron said his son had never lied to him. He said, as far as he knew, his son had always been honest and truthful. And and in this case, he definitely believed his son. His son, with tears in his eyes, said, Dad, what, what they accused me of doing, I did not do. So Ron went into the headmaster of that school, this missionary, and he sat down and, and he said, Listen, I believe my son. And the headmaster said, Well, it doesn't matter whether you believe your son or not. He must be disciplined. There will be discipline carried out. Now, in that school, they caned. They, they literally gave you corporal punishment. It was a caning. And so Ron looked at him and he said, I can't let you do that. Well, now it was between the headmaster and this missionary. And this missionary was saying that he believed in his son. And so finally Ron said this. He said, well, he said, if you've got to carry out the punishment, then you'll have to carry it out against me. And this Southern Baptist missionary leaned across the the desk and his son stood there and watched while he was caned, while he was disciplined on behalf of his son. My friend, when we look at the cross, that is exactly what Christ did for you and I. He took the punishment that was, should have been on us and he took it upon himself. Now you may say, well, there's a difference here. You're right. Because unlike Ron Langston's son, you and I are not innocent. We are guilty. We deserve the punishment and Christ took that punishment upon himself. Now we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. So I want you to look there with me in verse 26. And as they led him away, that is Jesus, they see Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and they put a cross on him and they made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed Jesus, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that have never bore, the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when a tree is green, what will they do when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with them to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Jesus along with criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the soldiers at the foot of the cross divided up his clothes by casting lots and gambling. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They they said, "He, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the God, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered wine vinegar 
and said, if you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So here Luke gives us a, an account of the cross of Jesus Christ. Here we are at Golgotha, the hill that is called the skull. Luke is writing this account. In fact, Luke was an interesting individual. Luke was a physician, a traveling partner of the Apostle Paul. While Paul was in prison, Luke was doing his research, getting this, this gospel, this gospel we call Luke together, in order to give it to Theophilus, his friend, to give an orderly account, Luke says, of everything that had transpired in the life of Christ. And in Luke's gospel here, we come to the climax. It's as if the gospel of Luke, like a story, is building us to this moment, to Golgotha, to the cross, to Calvary. In fact, all of history's been moving us this way. From Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, we've been moving to this event, this moment in history. William Barclay said this. He said, when you look at this whole event, the crucifixion, he said it is a carnival atmosphere. It's during the Passover. In fact, William Barclay said this. He said when a criminal was condemned to be crucified, he was taken from the judgment hall. He was set in the middle of a hollow square of four Roman soldiers. He was beaten meticulously. He was then marched by the longest route while before him marched a soldier holding a placard with this crime written upon it. In other words, what we know of Jesus in this event was that a Roman lictor who used a, an instrument called the cat of nine tails, it was nine strands of leather interwoven with bone and with metal, was able, he was very capable at what he had been doing, what, what he did. In fact, there were over 30,000 crucifixions during this time. This was not unusual. Jesus, from the time he was a little boy, making his way to the temple, would periodically see where the Roman soldiers had crucified people and left them to line the road. This is not anything new. Jesus is beaten by the Roman lictor, the cat of nine tails. It whips and it flays his flesh. The Roman lictor was very good at it. He would often take a man within an inch of his life. He was very, very methodical about it. Then Jesus, after he was beaten, would be taken the longest route possible because the Romans would make an example out of him. They wanted the rest of this community to see the high cost of treason. So he's taken the longest route. A Roman soldier marching in front, carrying a placard that names the crime that he's been committed of. He goes down crowded streets. Uh, masses are gathered, crowds are mocking and jeering and ridiculing. They're laughing. 
They're spitting on him. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that washes away the sins of the world. In fact, yesterday, to get myself ready for Easter, I was all alone and I put in the Passion of Christ. Mel Gibson's story of the Passion of Christ, this scene here, at a point when the Roman lictor began to whip Jesus, when he began to beat him, instantly in my home by myself, I stood to my feet. I, I began to walk toward the TV. My tears began to stream down my face. And I began to think of the song, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone and All the World Go Free. No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. And I was standing in the middle of my living room all alone at home there looking at this scene and beginning to weep. Let me ask you something. What does the crucifixion and the cross mean to you? The whole Christian community, we may disagree on some things theologically, but whether you're Pentecostal, whether you're Calvinist, whether you're Arminian, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Protestant, whether you're Presbyterian, whether you're Baptist or Methodist, we all find ourselves centered on agreeing on the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to spend more time at the cross. Now, Luke tells us here that there was a man by the name of Simon. In verse 26 of Luke 23, there was a man by the name of Simon, Simon of Cyrene. He was from North Africa. I believe this was a black man. In fact, in Mark 15, verse 21, in fact, I want you to look at that. Take a left and go to Mark. Look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 15 because this is worth noting. But I want you to look, before we look at these thieves, Mark chapter 15, I think it's verse 21. It said Mark's account here. Now let me tell you something about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is written to a Roman audience. It is written to those Christians, the early New Testament church there in Rome. In, in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, now watch this, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Simply what a Roman would do, a soldier would do, is if he had anything that needed to be done, it would be to carry his armor, it would be to carry any kind of packages or whatever it might be, whatever a Roman would do, all a Roman would do is he would come up and he would take his sword and he would tap a man or a woman on their shoulder. And when he did that, he would give them simply a command. They would do it. If they did it, they were fine. If not, they would be, uh, they would be dealt with, punished. Simon of Cyrene is a black man. He's an African. He's probably come for the Passover. Mark is writing to a Roman audience, and Mark knows that these people in Rome, in the early New Testament church, knew this family. They knew this man, Simon of Cyrene, because Simon of Cyrene would not only carry the cross of Christ, he would become a pivotal figure in the early New Testament church. In fact, the Alexander and Rufus were leaders in the early church. In fact, they are so much so that in Romans 16, 13, Paul mentions the son of Simon Cyrene, Rufus, and speaks of the wife of Simon who carried the cross as being like a mother to him. Let me say this. I've said this so many times to the African American. I believe the key to spiritual awakening in America for weighs heavily on the African American community. 
I believe they are a critical key in the hand of God of bringing spiritual awakening to America today. And there's a quietness here. But you can let that weigh deep into your heart. So it's interesting here that an African, a black man, carries the cross. Now, what I want you to see here also is the crucifixion and two thieves. There are two thieves. Luke tells us about two thieves, two responses, and two outcomes. And today I want you to ask yourself the question, which thief am I? Which thief am I? Now let's pick up at chapter 23, verse 39. Because Luke says here to Theophilus, as he's writing later, he says one of the criminals who was hung there began to hurl insults at Jesus and said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us also. So we see here that this man, this thief, is hanging there and he's dying. He, like Jesus, is in exactly the same situation. He's dying, but unlike Jesus, there's no hope. In fact, the only hope that this man has is almost within arm's distance. As Jesus hangs between these two criminals, this man can almost reach out and touch Christ. He's been witnessing everything that has happened so far, but this man is oblivious. Have you ever thought about that? Here is a man that is dying. Here is a man that ought to have been reaching out to Christ, but instead this man is continuing to live his life defiantly in rebellion against the holy God. I've often thought this man lived his life with a motto, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This man had lived his life always that way. He had lived his life as a criminal. He had lived his life robbing and stealing, raping and doing those things. He had squandered his life away. There was no God to answer to. This man lived as if there was no accountability for his life. He could live the way that he wanted to. And so as this thief is hanging there, waiting to die, he's oblivious to Jesus and any hope of salvation. And when I read this, every time I read this, I think to myself, why? I want you to listen closely because there's some of you in this room that that thief represents you right now. You live for the world. You live as if there's no accountability, as if there's no God. And it was this thief, and I think that the reason he did that, and I want you to write these down. I think, number one, this thief had, had been running with the devil. You think about that. You are either, listen, Father, God is either your father or your father's the devil. You either, you're either surrendering and living your life for Christ or you're living your life for the, for the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this man had lived his life oblivious to God, in rebellion against God, and running with the devil. He had made a decision a long time ago, perhaps as a young man, he had made that decision that he would turn his back on everything that was good, on everything that was godly. He turned his back against his parents, against his family. He went out, he probably meandered down to the Jordan River because there was a, a nut down there by the name of John the Baptizer who was down there preaching at the Jordan. He had heard this prophet that was preaching about a man, uh, 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 the Messiah, the one yet to come, who would baptize with fire, who offered forgiveness of sin. But I believe that this thief went down there when he listened to that. He just kind of waved his hands and kind of laughed and said, that's just Pharisaic religious garbage. He had lived his life listening to the speech of the devil. You know it. Beer commercials, slits, Budweiser, they tell us. 
What do they tell us? They, they, they tell us the same thing. You only go around in once. You only go around once in life, so reach for all the gusto you can get because this is all there is to it. There's nothing else afterwards. They do what a lot of people do. They make a deal with the devil. In fact, I want you to, I want you to take a left and look at Luke 4. In Luke chapter 4, I want, you to, I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5, in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 and 7, I want you to see, do you remember the temptation of Jesus? Because in Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 5, it said the devil led Jesus up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, he said to Jesus, this is the devil talking to Jesus. He's saying, he's saying to Jesus, listen, why don't you join up with me? Why don't you run with me? Why don't you, why don't you turn your back on the Father? Listen, there's an easier, there's a better way to do what you're trying to do. Why don't you let me help you? And you see, that's the enemy. That's the way the devil works. The devil will always try to sell you on his program. And so in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, it said the devil led Jesus up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, he said, I'll give you, I'll give you all their authority, all their splendor, now watch this, underline this. This is critical for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want. So if you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, that's what the devil does. Hollywood is filled with testimonies of, of men and women who, like that thief, at some point in their, in, their, in their pilgrimage, in their journey, in their life, they turned their back on Christ. They turned their back on the gospel. They said, I don't want to hear that. And they made a deal with the devil. Hollywood is full of it. Music industry is full of it today. How many men and women, young men and women, start out in gospel ministry, singing songs about Christ, and before long they slip down that path? Whitney Houston, an un, a, a godly young lady, filled with a talent like few women will ever have that ever walked the earth. But eventually walking away from that gospel music, that simple church choir, and going in another direction. I remember when I was listening, I listened to the funeral. It was several hours of Whitney Houston, and I was remembering a gospel singer, a dear friend of Whitney's, who they, Whitney had gone down one road, and she had gone down another. And she was giving testimony of that moment when they divided paths and they went different directions. What God could have done Rona Barrett said this about Hollywood. After spending her life in studying Hollywood, she said, I've never met one person who was happy. You see, that's the enemy. This thief had spent his life running with the devil. And that's the devil from the king of rock to the king of pop. He convinces men and women, talented, gifted young people, if you'll just bow down, if you'll just sell out, if you'll just come over and follow my program, I'll make you great. Some people say, well, before I die, I'll get right. My friend, it'll never be that way. I know my enemy. And I can tell you my enemy will do everything he can to convince you that his program and his agenda is best. He reminds me of what in a slaughterhouse. In a slaughterhouse, when they're taking sheep to a slaughterhouse and they're slaughtering these sheep, 
They have to get these sheep to follow and to make their way through the corridors and taking them to the slaughterhouse. And they have what they call, they have a goat. And this particular goat is used in a slaughterhouse and this goat will, these sheep will willingly follow this goat. And this goat has been programmed to lead these sheep to slaughter. Now listen to me. Do you know what the name of that goat is? They call the goat the Judas goat. The Judas goat. You see, that's Satan. That's your enemy. And for some of you, I was, uh, there's a the, the series years ago called Lonesome Dove. There's a scene where Robert Duvall, who is, he plays this character called Gus, is about to hang his friend, Jake, who's been involved in a rough bunch and, and gotten involved in crime. And before he's hanging, one of his best friends, his friend Jake is on this horse. And Jake is pleading. He's pleading with Gus to show him some mercy. And finally, Robert Duvall, who plays this part, looks at Jake and says, as he's hanging with a noose around his neck, he says to his best friend, he says, you ride with an, in, you ride with an outlaw, you die with an outlaw. I'm sorry, you crossed the line. And in that scene, Jake kicks his own horse, and that next thing you see is Jake hanging from a noose. Some of you are running with the outlaw. Some of you may be running with the devil today, and you're like that thief there. You're hanging there, and the only hope that you have is the words that you're hearing right now, that Jesus Christ loves you, and he died for your sin. He paid the penalty. He offers... He offers an eternity in heaven. He offers forgiveness of sin. But this man was running with the devil. Secondly, this man thought he'd get mercy from the devil. And more so from the world. Let me tell you about my enemy, the devil. And he's my enemy. And if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Christ, he's your enemy. He gets up every morning. He's right there with you when you get up in the morning. That's why it's important that you and I understand that Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you because I can tell you this much, your enemy doesn't leave you. And you need Christ. This man thought that he would get mercy from the world, from the devil. This man thought to himself, man, I'll just... Listen, this man, listen, this thief is hanging and he's dying and he's looking at Jesus there who, listen, Jesus is saying things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's praying out to the Father. Instead of being moved to mercy, instead of being moved to cry out to Christ, this man is becoming more hardened. You see, that's what happens in a room like this. God's love will harden some of you and some of you it will soften. Isn't that a strange thing? You know, I've often thought, why would this man be, who's about to die, be ridiculing Jesus? Because he thought if he went along with the crowd... See, he'd spent his life that way. He, he thought, well, if I go along with the crowd, maybe they'll have mercy on me and they'll take me down. I was speaking in a school in the United Kingdom, in the UK, in England... While I was speaking in this school, I was talking about, I came to a point that I was trying to tell young people what the enemy, what our enemy, the devil, will do. How he'll use people. And I said, when I was a boy growing up in Florida, I would go out into an orange grove and I would pull an orange, and, and, and as I would pull that orange off, I would roll it in my hand. Now, these were stolen oranges. I wasn't supposed to be in that orange grove. But I would slip over in there and I would steal those oranges. I would take those oranges, me and my buddies, and we would roll them around in our hand. Now the reason we did that, we were softening that orange. 
Then we'd pluck a hole, we'd punch a hole in that orange, and then we'd take and we'd squeeze out that juice. And do you know what we did with that orange when we got through with it? We'd just toss it off to the side and grab another one and do the same thing again. That's your enemy. I was telling this story in England, in a, in a high school there in England, and as, I was, and as I was doing the demonstration, I was actually rolling an orange, and I was talking about what the enemy will do to you and what the enemy will do to me, and what I believe the enemy had done to this thief. You see, this thief had been running with the devil. This thief thought that he'd get mercy from the devil and even from the world, but this is what the world will do with you young people, and this is what the devil will do with you and what the devil may be doing right now. But in this school in England, I began to roll this orange around, softening it. Then I punched a hole in it, took a knife and punched a hole in it. And then I took it and I began to drink the juice out of that orange right there before this packed assembly room with all these high school students. Now, I hadn't planned this, but there was a, gar a metal garbage can like they have in schools all the way across. I mean, listen, it was literally maybe to that wall, and I'm probably from here to that wall from it. And a strange kind of twist of ways when I got through and I was talking about what the devil will do and what the world will do if you don't give your life to Christ. I said, and do you know what the devil will do when he gets through using you? I said, he'll throw you. And now I was just going to try to get close to the garbage. But I nailed that garbage can. That, listen, that, that orange, it hit that garbage can. It whipped around in that garbage can, hit the bottom of that garbage can. And that assembly just erupted in applause. And I said, well, you know an American when it comes to shooting baskets. <laughs> but you see, that's our enemy. I don't know about your house, but the spiders are taking over at my house. They're everywhere. They literally, I get up in the morning doing this, walking down the hall. I cannot believe, what is the deal with spiders? And so every once in a while, I go around and I'm brushing out the spider webs outside, inside. It just seems like they're taking over our home. And when I look, I see all of these insects. And when you look closely at those insects, you realize they're just dried out shells. They're just remains. In other words, what I've been able to learn from a spider is that what a spider will do is he will, when he bites, he will secrete an enzyme into the body of that insect. And basically what it does, it just turns the inside, insect's insides into a mush. Can I tell you that's what sin will do to your life? Can I tell you that's what our enemy, the devil, will do, do to your life? Can I tell you that that's what had happened to this thief? This thief was hanging there. Listen, he was unrepentant. He was, he was running with the devil. He had spent his life running with the devil. He thought, well, you know, secondly, he thought, well, maybe I'll get mercy from the world. Maybe I'll just go along. And you see, some of you, that's how you live your life. You can't stand to stand out. You want to blend in. Oh, you think you're a leader and you think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm my own person, buddy. I'm my own boss. No, you're not. You're just like all the other people around you because you're afraid to stand out and be different. Some of you are Christians and followers of Christ in this room, but nobody knows that. Your neighbors don't know it. People you work with, nobody knows it. There are no undercover agents for Christ. But this man was running with the devil. And it may be you today. You see, you may be here today and you say, you know, I just don't understand why everything goes wrong in my life. Let me say this. Maybe it's who you're hanging around with. You see, you and I, we don't have a physical problem. 
If we had a physical problem, we could just kind of figure that one out. But we have a spiritual problem, and that spiritual problem is that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room has a, has a peace messing in their life, and it is a peace that can only be filled with Christ. In fact, your Creator left it there. Sin stole it. Sin took it away. Sin will never fill it. It is only the Savior. Peter said it. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Some of us in this room need to come to the point of the old gospel song that says, To where could I go? Where could I go but to the Lord? The centurion said as he hung Jesus, as he actually nailed him to the cross, he looked at, that, at, this, at this man that was hanging there. He said, truly he was the Son of God, for no man spoke like this man spoke. Some of you are parents here, and you know what your thought is? What's it matter? What does it matter spiritually? I heard the story of a businessman who, who, was, in his, who was in his office building. He was, a, he was a business tycoon, very wealthy, very prominent. He was, a, he was a mover and shaker in the business world. And he had just come out of a deal where he had made a deal, but he had been dishonest and he had cheated people in the process. And he walked into the bathroom, into the bathroom on that floor of that beautiful, massive business, that, that, that business building. And as he went into the bathroom there, he saw one of the individuals that had been in that meeting. And that individual looked at him and said, doesn't it ever bother you that you ethically and morally do so, some of the things that you do? He, he laughed and he said, not at all. He said, I don't have no problem with it at all. He said, I'll cheat, still do whatever I have to do to get where I'm going. And then he looked, he looked at his friend and he said, because who will know about that time a toilet flushed? He thought he and that man were the only ones in that room and a toilet flushed. And a little boy walked out and he looked up at him and it was his own son. And tears began to trickle down his feet, I mean down his cheeks, and he looked up at his dad and then he walked out. He didn't say a word. You see, he didn't realize it, but his own son knew. Hear me, parent. Hear me, young person. If you're running with the devil, if you're thinking you'll get mercy from the enemy, get mercy from the world, listen, the world will use you and use you, and the world will not only use you, it will taint and affect the lives of the people that are around you. So you're either that thief or this one. Look at this, that next thief, verse 40, but the other thief rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. John 1.12 says this, For as many as received him, to as many as have believed in him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. You know, Matthew tells us this. Matthew says that both thieves on both sides of Jesus, the Bible says, and the King James, it said they both were railing. That means they were both mocking him. They were making fun of him. But where this thief is unrepentant, this thief all of a sudden is hanging there and something begins to stir his heart. Maybe he sees the countenance of Christ, the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ. He begins to hear the seven sayings of Christ that have been recorded. Something happens in this man. This man all of a sudden is convicted and his heart is made sensitive. You see, he, and I believe this man also, he had heard John the Baptist preach repentance. 
He had heard this idea of repentance. The Bible says repent and be saved. Nowhere does it teach that God will do this. He commands a lost man to do this, to repent. What does repent mean? It means to change your mind, to be moved in your heart, to do a 180. All of a sudden, this man comes under the conviction of sin and he reaches out. You know, he fears God. In fact, the Bible says this in verse 40. It says, but the, he, he rebuked the other thief and he said, don't you fear God. I believe this man finally came to a point that he feared something. He fears God. He looks at Christ. His heart is made heavy. He fears death. He thinks about he's getting ready to die. He thinks about he's getting ready to go into judgment. And he thinks to himself, in no way am I ready for that moment. And some of you in this room, you're not ready. You're not ready. Now, some of you in this room think you've got plenty of time. You don't know what time you've got. And you need to be ready right now. So this man feared God. And that's the Bible says that's the beginning of knowledge. All of a sudden, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. This man, verse 40, fears God. Verse 41, it says, watch this. It says, we are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. You know what he does? He sees not only God, he sees himself. He says, I deserve hell. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. The Bible says, Paul said in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a man or a woman in this room that is innocent. We are all tainted by sin. But look at verse 41 further. But this man has done nothing wrong. He begins to realize the innocence. He sees the innocence. He sees the beauty. He sees the spotless lamb of God. My friend, I, and we'll close in a moment, but we built, when we started this series on Ephesians, we built this corral. I built this corral. It's falling apart now. It's kind of like a picture of the church. This is the way the church is. When I built this, I was trying to help you to understand what it means to be in Christ. When you and I encounter Christ, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, then the Bible says in that moment we're a part of His sheepfold. We are sealed, we're secure, we're safe. But we also use this to illustrate the Passover in the Old Testament. When Moses in that last plague, before he would lead the people of Egypt, lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt, do you remember what God told Moses? He said, you tell those Jewish people, you tell those Hebrew people to go out into their flocks to find a lamb without blemish and to take that lamb, to cut its throat, take that blood, spill it over into that basin and go and with that hyssop, take it, dip it in that blood and do it around that door frame, frame and when the death angel comes over, the death angel will pass and that's a picture of salvation when you and I appropriate the blood of Christ over our lives the Bible says that we're sealed, we're safe we're secure in Christ now let me ask you the question have you done that? This thief began to realize that Christ was the spotless Lamb of God, that He washes away the sins of the world. And so He appropriated that to His life. He cries out. Look at verse 42. Then He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen to this. I thought this was fascinating. He's the only individual that uses Jesus' first name in the whole story here of the crucifixion. 
Jesus, remember me. Paul said in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you and I, some of you may be here today, and Christ is speaking to your heart, and you feel the weight of your sin, and you feel separated from God. You're not prepared to die. And Christ is dealing with you right now. And you want to you do what blind Bartimaeus did. You know what blind Bartimaeus did? When the Bible said when Jesus passed by, blind Bartimaeus, his beggar, stood up and he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's the only way you'll ever be saved. Finally, in closing, verse 43, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Absent from the body, for a believer, a follower of Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he love and live, and he that believeth in me shall never die. You see, when you and I encounter Christ, when we enter into a personal relationship with Christ, we're sealed, we're secured in Christ, just like those people in that little Hebrew home as they were gathered, as the blood was appropriated, the lamb's blood was appropriated over their life. They could hear all of the wailing and all of the heartache outside, but my friend, listen to me, they were sealed, they were safe, they were secure because they were covered by the blood of the lamb. Are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? The Bible says today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Paul said now is the accepted time. He said today is the day of salvation. And some of you right now, Christ may be speaking to you. He may never speak as clearly as He's speaking right now. But are you saved? This man recognized Jesus. This man repented of his sin. And this man received Christ. This last week, Friday, I got the big idea that I would go over out of the kindness of a dad's heart and I would wash Emily's house. Emily is our, one of our daughters. She just had a new baby. So I thought, I'm going to do something for Emily. So Friday, even though I had other responsibilities, I thought, man, I'm old. So I got me some concentrate Clorox, I got my buckets, I got my hose, I got all my stuff, and I went over there, and before long she come out there holding that little new granddaughter of mine, she said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, Emily, I'm here to wash your house. She said, oh, Dad. Well, I make stuff, and I begin to wash, and I, and I was spraying it down with Clorox, and washing it and washing it and working, and then some places were not coming clean, and so I, I mixed a real heavy dose of Clorox, and, and I began to take a rag, and I was washing those shutters and washing this house that had become dull and dark and covered in pollen and dirt, and some of it had been there for a while, and I was just working feverishly, working hard, trying to get it done, thinking that it might rain. Emily all the while said, Dad, I just appreciate so much you doing it. Washing down the furniture, doing this and doing that. I know Notice my hand was hurting. And by the time I got ready to leave, and by the time I got home, I said, Sheila, my hand is killing me. I went and got in a, in a tub of water and began to wash both my hands and wash my body. And this hand, I literally thought I was dying. It was hurting so bad. And before long, Sheila said, look at your hand, it's red. And then before long, blood began to come to the surface of it. And I told Sheila, I said, look at my hand. You can look at it now. It's, it's covered in spots and places where it looks like it, it's just scabbed over. 
It hurt so bad I couldn't sleep that night. I was laying there. My hand was hurting so bad. I realized, Sheila said, you've got got like a chemical burn there. I mean, nothing would bring any relief at all. Laying there at night just hurting and, 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 and in pain. But it was in that moment that God began to speak to me. Sheila was asleep and, and God began to speak to me. And God began to remind me, son... I was in pain too. You were on a clean-up operation to clean a house up. I was on a clean-up operation to clean your house up, your your body, the temple of my Holy Spirit. My hands hurt too. My hands hurt too. And it was like God just began to nudge me and, and to remind me of the sacrifice that he had made, the blood that had been spilled, the scars that had been taken by his body in order to make me clean. And my friend, he offers that same cleanness to you. The Bible says this. You know what the Bible says? The Bible said he'll forgive you. You know what the great thing about God is this? God not only forgives, he what? He forgets. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a quality that we don't have. God can, wipe, God can wipe the slate clean. God can write over your life right now, paid in full. God wants to do that. Have you ever invited Christ into your life? Have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever surrendered and made him the Lord of your life? Could you do that? Would you do that today? Let's stand. Heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around, could I ask you something? Which thief are you? Which thief are you? Are you the first thief? Are you just uh, running with the devil? Thinking that one day maybe the world and the devil will show you mercy? The devil will never do that. He'll use you right up through your life. Young people... Young people, listen to me. He'll use you all the way to the end of your life. He'll take everything, every goodness, every, every, every little bit of goodness in you. He'll take it all. And when he comes, and listen, when you come to that moment of death, believe you me, he will leave you standing without any hope whatsoever. Are you that thief? Have you been running with the devil thinking you'll get mercy from him? playing the game of the world? Or are you the other thief? Are you repentant? Are you broken? Is Christ dealing with you? Is Christ dealing with you right now? Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord. Easter's are hard, Lord. There's a sadness in America. We wandered from our spiritual moorings. We call ourselves liberated and free people.
Lord, I've done the best I could. Some yawn, some laugh. Some listen. These are desperate times, Lord. Hours late. People here that may never hear the gospel again. May the power of your Holy Spirit convict them. And may they determine which thief they are. And Lord, if you've spoken to the heart of some in this room, that they would publicly come and say, I ask Jesus to forgive me. I've asked Jesus to forgive me and to live in me. And I want everyone to know that. And we'll give you the glory, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.